Kia ora, welcome to the Catch Podcast where we discuss issues that affect missional communities and church plants. I'm Scotty Reeve, I'm the head of the Catch Network um, and I spend my life helping missional communities and churches to renew themselves. Kia ora, I'm Jazz, I live in community here in Wellington and I'm also a law student. Uh, Scotty, why are we here? Yeah, why are we here? Well, we are really lucky here in Wellington and Te Whanganui Atara to be surrounded by people with an enormous amount of wisdom and experience creating communities like the ones we're talking about. And uh, late last year, I started thinking about all the concepts we take for granted here. And every time I thought of one, I wrote it down on a notepad. And by the end of the year, I had 70 concepts written down. And so our desire really is to grab some of the great things we take for granted that we talk about all the time and to share those with a wider audience. And I've invited you, Jazz, to join me. Why are you here? Well, Scotty, you're a 37-year-old man and I'm a 20-year-old woman. So I guess I'm here to offer the perspective of my generation, but also to ask some questions that maybe our listeners would be wondering. Yeah, exactly. So the reality is that uh, sometimes I get talking and you'll hear I go for a while and sometimes I miss things or I say things which um, you may not agree with. And so Jazz is going to be the voice of reason here in the room for my rants. Is that right? Hopefully. We'll we'll see. (laughs) Awesome. Cool. All right, let's get into it. So Jazz, we talked a couple of weeks ago about the dangers of doing good, Uh, and we talked about how Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give us life as a ransom for many. And we spoke to this thing of how sometimes we can have what look like noble actions, but they're actually being co-opted by needs in us that need to be served. Mm. Um, So when we're looking to serve our need for worthiness, our need for righteousness, or our need for tribe or belonging... And then good work kind of gets all a bit twisted up um, because it's actually meeting kind of a a void within us. And so I think we came to kind of the end of that session and we're feeling a little bit like, how can I ever do good well? Mm. And what you don't want to do is fall into the trap of what I would say is like the Victoria University of Wellington Development Studies trap, (laughs) where you go in with a heart to do good in the world and then Mm. you come out going, it's all so complicit and so ugly, we should just do nothing, Mm. (laughs) you know? Because actually the reality of the world is there are places of enormous wealth and privilege and there are places of enormous poverty Mm. and justice is that some of the wealth of the places of enormous richness goes to the places of enormous poverty, eh? Yeah. And we can talk about the mechanics of how you do that, but if our um, theorizing goes so deep that it paralyzes us from action, that's mm. not good, eh? Yeah. So then the question becomes, if we know that we're complicit and we know we're a bit broken and we know that our motives are all a bit twisted and that often at the same time as we're trying to do something genuinely loving for someone, we might also be meeting a need within ourselves, how do we give it the is crack of doing good better, like mm. of um of not needing to meet that within ourselves. And last week you talked about, you know, being younger and that critique you would have of the monks and the contemplatives of like, how the heck can it be the work of God to go and live in a hermitage way up in the mountains mm. and just run away from the dumpster fire that can be our world at the time yeah and there were these guys who kind of did that a little bit called the benedictines and they had this phrase and it was aura et labora aura et labora which means prayer and work work and prayer 
And they kind of saw these as uh, two ends of almost a metronome swinging. Some of the more modern thinkers around this would say action and contemplation. Mm. And so these two things, work and prayer, are meant to hold hands together. Works are the fruit of a faith that isn't empty. And prayer cleanses our hearts in order that our works may truly be in service to God and to others. We try to get our deep belongings met in prayer so that we don't expect those we serve to meet them. So prayer cleanses our hearts so that we don't expect something from people who might already have nothing. Hmm. So how does how does prayer do this for us? Because I've, you know, for a number of years, and you're the same, Jazz, rhythm of prayer in our community, 7 a.m. every morning up. Mm. And, you know, whether you feel like it or not, we get up and it is our act of kind of spiritual hygiene, spiritual brushing our teeth. Mm. But how does prayer do this? How does it kind of cleanse us and allow us to do good better? And one of the things I was thinking about a while ago is uh, I have a little two-year-old, almost three. And when she was born, I got really passionate about, you know, how do you be a good parent? You know, Mm. like, how do you do this well? And I got into these theories of attachment and uh, one of them talks about the first thousand days are the most crucial thing in a kid's life that you form a good bond and a good attachment and so I wondered well what does that look like how do you know you're bonded or attached and my assumption was that my daughter would want to be with me all the time (laughs) she was so bonded and so attached to me that she just never want to leave dad what I actually found out is kind of the, the opposite is actually true that when there's positive attachment a kid will actually venture away from their primary caregiver. They'll go over, mm. you know, 10 metres away or 5 metres away. They'll play with something. And then what I'll see with my daughter, she'll play for a little while. And then after a little while, she'll just come over. She'll crawl up on my lap. She'll have a little cuddle for 5 or 10 seconds, get down again. And then she goes and plays. Mm. And so it's almost like what she's doing is she's over and over again just resetting the security of knowing who she belongs to, where mm. she comes from. And from that, she has this kind of strength and this resiliency to be on her own Mm. and to play. And when I heard that, I couldn't help but be struck by that when we think about these ideas of action and contemplational work. Because the reality is that in our days, you know, you go off to your law study, we go off to work, we parent, whatever it is we do with our lives. And God is not uh, every second of every day at the front of our consciousness, Mm. eh? Like we do, we get busy um, and then we have moments of returning. Yeah. Um, But it's actually those moments of returning that are crucial because it's there where we remember who we are. It's there we confess you are God and I am not. You know, Mm. we quickly, particularly Westerners, have these moments of thinking that we kind of are God, eh? Mm. Or that we're, you know, Messiah complex. Absolutely. And so we have these moments of putting that down, remembering who our dad or our mother God is, that then allows us to go and work and play in a way that is safe and secure and resilient. Mm. So I think that's what prayer does for us. It kind of resets our attachment with God, puts us back in home and knowing who we are. The second thing I thought about when I thought about what prayer does for us in this respect is I can remember a few years ago walking the pilgrimage across Spain, the Camino de Santiago, and I'm coming up this hill one day and I have this moment of becoming really aware of God's goodness and of the idea that this is a God who loves me enough to go to the cross for me. Mm. And I don't often think in those terms, not for a number of years, but I, I just became overwhelmed with gratitude. I'm like, whoa, like... Mm. who would do that for someone? And so I sort of started to weep. And as I get to the top of this hill, I've just been looking at the ground and I look up and there's like this nine foot iron cross in front of me. And I go fully Old Testament. I just fall in the dust and wail, eh? And yep. just 
have this moment of realization, I guess, of like the bigness and the graciousness and the love of God. Mm. And I'm undone by that. And there are these different moments in the scriptures where we we see that happen to people. So in Isaiah 6, we see Isaiah the prophet fall on his knees and just wail and say, I'm a man of unclean lips from a nation of unclean lips, you know, and says, Mm. God, cleanse me. And we have that moment where um, Saul or Paul, you know, falls from his horses blinded and realizes that the one he thinks he's been serving, he's actually persecuting. Coming back to that Luke 18 passage from last week of the Pharisee saying, thank God I'm not like this tax collector. It goes on to say that the tax collector beats his breast and says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. (sighs) And I think there is something in the space of prayer that is a returning to reality. And as I said before, a realizing that we're not God, that we are frail humanity, Mm. and that our best efforts often fail, but that God is very good. And there need to be moments, not in a self-loathing way or in a way where we come to despise ourselves, but moments where we just realize that there are limitations to who we are. Mm. And we say, man, God, I am a person of unclean lips. I Mm. try to do right. It fails, but I know that you are good. Mm. And that has a way of cleansing our our kind of do-gooding because we actually don't go into spaces thinking we are a messiah or thinking that we are somehow better than the person that we're called Mm. to serve. And, you know, white saviorism and all those things, which, you know, are so, so poisonous, can be cleansed from our hearts when we remember our own frailty in reference to the reality of the strength and the love and the mercy of God. Mm. And then the final thing, a few years ago, I'd been in Kolkata, I've been there a few times, and we will go to the Missionaries of Charity, uh, Mother Teresa's outfit, And every morning we'd go there and we would go to Mass there, but because we were not Catholic, we couldn't receive the bread or the wine. Mm. So you do this for like a week or two where you're constantly saying the liturgy, you're doing the Mass, and then you come to the end and then they're like, oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, And so by the time it was over, I was heading to London and I was just desperate for the bread and the wine. So within like uh, 24 hours, I went to, I'm like, what's an Anglican church I know of? So I went to Westminster Abbey, like the most (laughs) bougie Anglican church you could go to. And I came in there just before they were doing their midday Eucharist. (sighs) And they turned up there, I would have guessed, probably 30 or 40 different nationalities, cultures, languages. Um, And we pull out the liturgy for the Eucharist and everyone knew what to do. Mm. And I thought, man, that is so beautiful that like who knows what we've all come from? Who knows what we all carry? Mm. But we come here around the body and the blood of Christ and we become one. Mm. And I think one of the crucial things about prayer is that it's not purely, there are times we pray alone, but it's not purely an individual pursuit. It's something we do together. And it's a key moment where we remember that the best thing we can gather around is not who we vote for, mm. or is not the things we are disgruntled about, or is not the causes we fight for, but is actually to be gathered around Christ himself. Mm. And in that, you can have the the tax collector and the Pharisee sit down together. Um, mm. You can have the zealot and the Roman centurion in the same room, and we can say, what we have in common is bigger than any of what divides us, and mm. it cleanses our need for our good works to offer us a place of belonging or ideological home. 
So those three things there, you know, the, the, the resetting of our attachment to God, the remembering reality that he is a good God and we are very frail humans, mm. and then finding our identity and meeting around Christ rather than a meeting around cause or vendetta mm. um, or ideology. So, Jazz, I'm interested, you know, as so you think about prayer and hear those things, are those new lenses to you? Are they old lenses to you? What does that kind of mean for you? Yeah, I mean, something that... I think I often go back to Scotty as just the idea of a childlike faith. Mm. Yeah, just thinking about how beautifully children pray Mm. and how they're in so much awe and wonder of God's bigness and they're so aware of kind of their dependency. That's kind of a nice place to go back to, I think, in our faith if we're yeah getting lost in our causes or getting lost in our own awesomeness and the ministry that we're doing. Mm. I was reflecting with a friend the other week how like, when you're young, you're like okay with learning things, mm. but we reach some point as adults, it almost feels like weakness to yep. admit you need to learn something, eh? Yeah, for sure. And so there's something, you know, when Nicodemus, I think it's John 3 comes, you know, the learned scholar and Jesus says you need to be born again, like you need to start like a kid again. Mm. It's a really vulnerable place, eh, to look upon God and go, maybe I know nothing. Yeah, totally. I so appreciate when new Christians get excited about stories we've known forever um, mm-hmm. for those of us who are brought up in Christian families. Uh, like I think of this guy who my parents have been supporting. He just burst into my parents' house the other day just so excited because he had found out that Jesus said he was coming back to earth. And he goes, <laughs> why did you never tell me? You never told me he was coming back. Yeah, and just kind of that absolute excitement at the message of Jesus is really cool. Yeah, and I think what that brings to it too is like you know that thing we talk about sometimes a mutual liberation that kind of the conversation we've had over these last two episodes is sort of how we go to serve but like we can't be going to serve in order to receive back a core need from someone mm. but often we do receive back uh, a new gospel totally. you know that actually like yeah. like we forget the goodness of what we have mm. um, and so like I often think that the relationship between the rich and the poor is I think the the liberation sometimes the rich can offer the poor is monetary or wealth, mm. but the liberation the poor often offer to the rich is liberation from like our self-righteousness, our mm. self-seriousness, our self-importance, eh? Yeah. Yeah. As soon as we become defined by, I guess, the results of our ministry and the work mm. in our community, we so lose the opportunity to be changed by it and have our hearts yeah. moved by it. Yeah, continuing to be emptied rather Mm. than going with the expectation to be filled or satisfied with our work. Yeah, yeah, Mm. totally. And I think this is where that place of prayer is so pivotal Mm. um, because I guess it really serves a role of both emptying us and filling Mm. us, eh? that often when we come into the place of prayer, we have to empty our self-importance. We Mm. have to look upon God and go, oh, it's actually not my work and I'm not even that good at it anyway. (laughs) Um, And then, you know, we sort of have to, like Nicodemus, kind of put down the old education, the old Mm. smarts, be born again, become a child and go, okay, what's reality, God? Because Mm. I'm I'm starting to buy my own hype or I'm starting to think I'm more important than I actually am Mm. Um, or more thinking I'm important for the wrong reasons. This has been the Catch Podcast. You can find out more at www.catchnetwork.org.nz. See you next week.